Hi, everybody, and welcome to Will This Be On The Test? I'm Maddie. I'm Austin. And we're here today to talk about things you should have learned in school but didn't learn, didn't learn fully, or didn't learn correctly. And sometimes we talk about stuff that's coming up in our lives, like, you know, that we're excited about or interested in, or maybe some sort of podcasting festival. Excellent segue. And you you just ruined my excellent segue. That's my whole job, Austin. Just like the creator of Segway, who I believe went over the cliff in a Segway, my job is to ruin Segways. She does a great job at it. She's talented. But what he's talking about is between November 29th and December 3rd, Indie Pods United Virtual Festival will be going on. You can join us for all kinds of workshops, for panels, for if you're a podcaster, it looks like they have a mentorship program you can become a part of. And you can also watch us do our first ever live and on video episode on December 1st from 6 to 6.30 p.m. Central Standard Time. The whole thing costs just 10 bucks. You get to you get access to all five days worth of everything. And we're really excited to be a part of it. I know, man. And don't worry, we are not going to be mentoring people. There are not going to be other podcasts that are this awful. So don't worry, <laughs> listeners. They actually do have like all kinds of podcasts, though. We are the smallest fish in this pond of giants. I think I, I mentioned that last week. Like, it's like, no, we're not even fish. We're like the we're like the protoplankton. That we're the are, like, we're the feeder fish. We're the protoplankton that the feeder fish are eating. Yeah, so we're really excited to be a part of it, and they've got some big names who are also involved. Whether or not you're a podcaster, your chances are you'll find something. But if you are a podcaster, you will definitely find something that'll help you out. So to get to that, go to IndiePodsUnited.com. That's IndiePodsUnited.com to join us for over 100 sessions, live podcasts, musicians, and comedians. So people that are better than us at everything. Okay, you need to stop downplaying our amazing talents here, Austin. Otherwise, they're going to turn off because like these people have no self-confidence. We have we have so much. We have too much self-confidence. That's the problem. It's gone. It's just gone full circle now. Uh, yeah. But that would be that would be coming back to having confidence again. It's made a 180. It's made a 180. Yeah, we um I had to uh, basically go around and make sure there were no green M&Ms within a mile of our house before Maddie would even leave her trailer. We have a lot of like, you know, confidence and we are divas. Oh, because I have like a writer. Yeah, she's got a writer. She's like, there can't be any green M&Ms within a mile of her. Actually, most people do put something weird into their writers just to make sure that the venues are doing what they ask. What weird thing would you have in your writer? Man, that's a good one. Like like... there are ones who demand that there are like kittens in their room, ones that demand like the M&M thing you said. See, I wouldn't want to do anything that required like work. It'd just be like a, oh, cool. You read this. Like I'd say like, I want a bottle of orange soda chilled in a wine cooler. See, I wouldn't want to do anything that would cause a whole lot of extra work for anybody because my my background is working backstage and no one likes working with a diva. I think what I would do is just be like, anybody who works here on this piece of paper, write down your best book recommendation. That's a good one. At some point when you walk by, just be like, I'm Steve and I really liked this book. Yeah, that's a good one. That is a good one. Yeah. And that way they also all like get to share something. And then if I like one, I can email the venue and be like, hey, tell Steve I really liked that book. Or tell Steve he's an idiot and that book was terrible. I would definitely do the second one. It's like, hey, Steve, nobody likes Infinite Jest. David Foster <laughs> Wallace is trash. Uh, I'm reading... I actually, like, I think I might... I can't remember if I mentioned this last week, but I've actually read books recently and I've got... 
like I've got some ADHD and like dyslexia issues. I love reading. Love, love, love it. Loved it growing up. And I haven't been able to do it in a while. I feel like quarantine has kind of like refocused my brain a little bit. So I've actually read books recently. So like last week I had read The Black Hope Horror. And then this week I'm working through, I think it's called 20th Century Ghosts. I'd have to look. It's by Joe Hill. They're making a movie out of one of the short stories in it. It's a Bloomhouse film. You know how much I love Bloomhouse. And I'm also listening to The Institute by Stephen King, Joe Hill's dad. Ooh. And it's read by Real Greg. Real Greg? Real oh, Greg. Oh, you mean first Greg. Real Greg. The prototype Greg. Real Greg. We're talking about Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. The original Greg was played by Santino Fontana, and he's real Greg. Second Greg, just he he doesn't have that same kind of like oh, you mean the sadness, the uh, romantic uh, Anna Kendrick's romantic interest in Pitch Perfect. I don't remember the actor's name. I don't remember the actor's name either. And I'm I'm not throwing shade on him. He's just not the right. He doesn't have that same thing like Santino Fonta- Fontana. Fontina, I'm I'm sure I'm getting his last name wrong. I just love him. He has like this grungy sadness to him where fake Greg just had like I'm trying real hard to be edgy to him. Yeah. Because like I think it's just he's probably ten years younger and completely different. Also though, can we talk for a second about how in Pitch Perfect Ben Platt was in there as a as some kind of like magician weird kid? He was so good. He was so cute and so little and Austin got really excited when he found out he had brothers and watched them sing together. Mm-hmm. That was, and he let his brothers, who are just so much less famous than him, like take the lead in their little performance that we saw. And it was Ben Platt is a treasure. I got to tell you something about Austin. When I met Austin, he hated musicals. Absolutely hated them. I had only ever been exposed to like things like The Music Man or like the West or West Side Story or just like and community theater community productions. Community theater of it. productions. It's like, come on. The other day, I walked into my kitchen and he had his earbuds in, and I hear him singing, "Yes, Regina, no, Regina." <laughs> I'm like, "Are you listening to Mean Girls without my supervision?" Yes. I was so proud of him. Also, Mean Girls the musical. I did not expect to love it like I do, and I love it so much. Um, I believe I was singing um, Dumb Karen's song. You know, my name is Karen. That's all the same song. I know, but I was singing her part, not the Yes Regina. You were singing the Regina Regina part. Maybe I was. I might (laughs) have been singing both. But so that's kind of been our week. And this week, we know that you all, and I guess, you know, technically we too, if you live in the United States anyway, you have Thanksgiving coming up this week. And hopefully you are all making good choices and, you know, staying away from people who could get sick or who could get you sick. But either way, this is going to be a super stressful year. Every year is stressful. Every year has some kind of family drama. It doesn't matter how close you are to your family. There's always that like little thing that's like, it's just, it's just something different. And you like, you kind of like revert back to who you were when you were like 16 and like, um, like, yes, because we were such edgy 16 year olds. Well, then I have the bad luck every year on Thanksgiving, I'm sick or I'm injured or something bad has happened. And the same thing happens on Christmas. But it's really almost always when we're spending it with Austin's family. Yeah. Like, we had a Thanksgiving where I found out my cat was going to die, like, as we were leaving for Thanksgiving dinner. I had sinus surgery the day before their Christmas stuff. I got into a car accident two years ago on the way to Thanksgiving. It just doesn't go well. Yeah. So we're just going to... Oh, man. Do you think we've, like, cursed ourselves because we're staying home for Thanksgiving and we're not going anywhere? I don't think so because, you know, we don't have to wear masks while trying to stuff turkey through them that way. It's true. Uh, we had a brilliant idea about like getting a mask with a straw built trademark, into it. Trademark, trademark. 
yeah, we haven't finished our patent yet, so like, don't share this with people. Okay, that's dumb. No, share our <laughs> idea with people. We're not gonna, we're not gonna follow through with this. So with Thanksgiving coming up, I don't know about Austin planned, but my plan was to give you something that if you're having your safe, distant Zoom dinner with your family, you have something to co- talk about that could co- cause some controversy if you really wanted it to. But it has, unless you really twist it, nothing to do with the most recent election. I'm all ears. Is it my turn to go first? It is your turn to go first. Okay. I also did this because I'm very excited to see Austin's reaction when I tell you what my topic is. He doesn't know what it is. No clue. Like, I would have to announce my presence before I could come into her office. That way there'd be nothing on the screen and I have no giveaways. So it's Thanksgiving week, and it means a lot of things to a lot of different people. For some people, it means, you know, food. For some people, it means family. For some people, it means celebrating that time we killed a whole lot of people for being a different color than us. But there is one thing I think we can all agree on. This is the week the Christmas movies start. Yes! And specifically, I'm talking about the Hallmark Christmas movies. <gasps> I lo- Okay, those are my huge guilty pleasure. Um, we just watched uh, the a, another Christmas switch with Vanessa's Hudgens. Yeah, uh, the princess switch switched again with the Vanessa's Hudgens. We have decided that as the uh, plural, yep. like attorneys general, because, you know, the first one, there were two Vanessa's Hudgens, and this one had three, and then they made, they're making another one. So we have decided that they are going to have a whole universe fill of, filled of Vanessa's Hudgens. It's into the Hudgens verse. And we're here for it. I am all about it. I love my Taylor Swift, and I love my Hallmark movies, and I love my pumpkin spice lattes. And your Mean Girls the Musical. And my Mean Girls the Musical. I am a stereotypical basic white white girl, and I really wish I had a pair of Uggs right now. Got a pair downstairs you can borrow. Okay. I mean, they're off-brand, but that's okay. Um, I only wear brand names. I think you currently are wearing your first ever brand name pair of shoes in your entire life. No, I have some Doc Martens. That's true. Those were brand name in like 1998. It's still a brand. I mean, so and I've got, the other shoes I wear are Converse. <laughs> Please, I am very fashionable. I bought your entire outfit, except for the shoes. And you bought those shoes because I already that had those That is not shoes. true. I'm wearing socks I got for free <laughs> for writing reviews on Google. Anyway, so I'm talking today about Hallmark movies and, of course, their knockoffs. So Austin loves these movies, as he said, and he got introduced to them last Valentine's Day. Was it yeah. this year or was it? It was a, it was it was like two years ago. I don't know. All time is time has no meaning. I think anymore. it was this past year. Time what? has no meaning. I don't know anymore. Every okay, Austin and I hate Valentine's Day. Yes. So every year we do some kind of ridiculous movie competition, and this this time I'm thinking of anyway, was who can make it through the worst romantic themed movies the longest? Whoever got up and walked out of the room when it was not an official break time lost. We actually both made it all the way through, although Christian Mingle, the movie, was a really tough one. Oh, no. Rodeo and Juliet was the tough one for me. Did you forget about Rodeo and Juliet? I've blocked it out. I've blocked it out. But we got to some Hallmark Christmas movie. I don't remember which one it was. And Austin was just enthralled the whole time. I loved it. So we have watched them very frequently since then. And not just those, but the normal Hallmark movies as well. Hallmark style movies, because they're on Netflix. Uh, So Hallmark has been doing this for a while, but where did this come from and why do they work and what is going on with that whole controversy thing? Because you know there's controversy. Oh yeah, because there's like yet to be an LGBTQ character or anything related 
Or, like, come on. Oh, we're going to talk about it. Oh, good, good. So Hallmark has been making these for a really long time, but they started doing the Christmas stuff in 2006 with a movie called The Christmas Card. I haven't seen it, but the plot sounds super creepy. So some dude in the military gets an anonymous card for Christmas. And when he returns to the U.S., he goes to the town this girl lives in and finds her. And then he gets welcomed into her family. And then... There's the complication of her boyfriend, who has put in the time and the effort to having this relationship. And meanwhile, Stalker Boy shows up. And all of a sudden it's, who will she pick? She picks the soldier. Of course. But it sounds kind of creepy to me. It does sound really creepy. I had, like, How did he find out who she was and where she lived? It's anonymous. I don't know. I have questions. We should probably watch was this. Was he like in intelligence? Did he abuse his position and authority? <laughs> I hope so. That would add a whole twist to this. So the movie didn't actually do exceptionally well that year. But they play it every single year now, and they've come to realize, like, this is where our money is, is in the Christmas movies. So, like, in 2018, they made 37 Christmas movies. What? Just Christmas movies. They have movies that they play all year round. They follow the seasons. They've got Thanksgiving movies and all that. They also have a whole sub-channel that's their mysteries channel. I'm like, okay, I'm normally not, like, a big, like, let's watch TV person. Like, I'm, like, all, I am all in on the streaming stuff and just binging it. But you talking about this makes me want to get cable so I can watch Hallmark Mysteries. Well, I have good news for you that I was going to save into the end, but I'll tell you. There is a Hallmark movie streaming network, $5 a month. Shut your mouth. I'm getting this right now. There is a seven-day free trial that we can get. I was going to suggest that we could get it for when we have a couple days off next week. Yay! And then we can watch all your little Hallmark movies until you get tired of the channel. Oh boy, oh boy. Oh boy. <laughs> so all their movies follow the same basic format, whether it's a little bit whether it's Christmas or not, but especially if it's Christmas. So there's a woman who is living some kind of feminist ideal. She is played by a well-known actress from the 90s or 2000s who the character is needing a break from her life and returns to her small town for Christmas. She usually has a name like Noelle or Christy, and she has some kind of vague job in marketing or is a baker or her job is being a widow somehow. This is also usually to serve some kind of other purpose. Like she has to. I'm sorry, is professional widow a career? Is that what you're hoping to transition to? Is that why I taste bitter almonds? If you tasted them, it would be too late. Oh, well, I'll finish the podcast because I'm a professional, damn it. <laughs> so they also have to serve another purpose. Like they go back to the town to save their family's business or enter a baking contest or something like that. Then there's some dude from the small town who she probably dated at some point in the past or had some kind of like enemy relationship with. And he usually wears plaid and has a scarf and he usually has a dog. And somehow they fall in love within about 20 minutes. And sometimes he's Santa. Yes, that's right. I always forget that sometimes he's Santa. So that is... The... He's just a hunky Santa in Connecticut for some reason. Hey, Santa can be whatever Santa wants to be. They interviewed some anonymous writers for these, because obviously they wanted to keep their jobs, for Entertainment Weekly. And they said that these movies take um, no time to write. It shows. <laughs> they take about a week to get the beat sheet done, which is like the first outline and proposal type stuff. They then take another week and a half to write a draft. Then they do some edits. End of writing movie. Wow. I, I feel like I could like jump into writing these. I can do this. And these movies shockingly have a formula that I've already done above. It is a nine act formula, believe it or not. Nine acts. And these have some pretty strict rules. Are you ready for the rules? I want to hear these rules so I can write these movies. So some of these are from that article. Some of these are from other interviews. So 
It has to have snow. Okay. The whole time they're in the town where they're having Christmas, there has to be snow. Presumably, if that doesn't happen, people die. They've lost several writers this way. They're like, you don't know what snow is? Just throw them into an avalanche. Yeah. Now, the author of a Vox article pointed out that a movie called Nine Lives of Christmas, and yes, it is them falling in love because they have cats, pointed out that the movie had green grass, and Michelle Vickery, the executive vice president of programming, says they've made a stronger effort after that. <laughs> like, literally, the conflict... Someone got mad over... <laughs> the conflict cannot be there is no snow or they're afraid there will be no snow. They can't have these movies be in places like Arizona where there is no snow. I Okay, um, I'm writing one. It is taking place in Australia over Christmas where it's summer, but it's snowing and everyone's freaking the fuck out. <laughs> there needs to be Christmas activities, the likes of which you would typically see at a kindergarten holiday party. Every scene needs to have something about Christmas in it. The movie starts with the two main characters not liking each other and ends with a kiss, more or less. Like, there could be a couple things afterwards. They also can't dislike each other too much. They have to like each other and dislike each other just the right amount. It's like a Goldilocks thing. There needs to be a boyfriend or a girlfriend in the way, but they can't be a bad person. They just have to be the wrong person. It's very important, which sucks because I always feel bad for them. They're like, I've been with them for five years. I what? love them so much. I'm like, <sighs> oh. What is with all of these Christmas decorations? Why can't we just celebrate Hanukkah? Oh, wait, no, that's probably getting into a dark, dark place we don't want to go oh, to. Oh, that's coming up, too. Oh, no! That's no! coming up. <laughs> there also needs to be an attempted kiss that gets interrupted. The feministy woman needs to be a saint, but she also needs to be able to give up all of her life streams to get with the guy. There cannot be any, quote, off-brand content, meaning they can't use words like stupid. They can't do anything that deviates more too much from the expected plot. Now, they do have these movies. They are set in space. They have doppelgangers. They have all this stuff. But the basic formula is the same. How do you have snow in space? I don't know. We'd have to ask Candace Cameron. She was in that movie. Ooh. We actually have never seen a Candace Cameron one. I don't even know. Is that. it Burr or Bure? 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 I don't know. She's got a third name. I don't know. And nothing, nothing remotely sexual. Like, even cleavage, not okay. It's true. Um, yeah, uh, one of the Vanessa's Hudgens had a lot of cleavage on display and it was like, oh They all my. had cleavage at some point. I know. I, I noticed was... it because I was in the middle of researching this. Normally I wouldn't even notice. Oh, and then there me. was there was the third Vanessa's Hudgens who had the short skirt too. And at I one know. point she had a coat that was so long you couldn't tell she was wearing anything underneath it. Oh my. This was this was a Netflix one, not a These are not one. spoilers either, like for giving you <laughs> Whoa, 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 whoa. Um Wait, Vanessa Hudgens having having cleavage is a She spoiler. has legs. Can you believe it? She has uh, not just one leg, two entire legs. Now, granted, legs. granted, if you only know her from High School Musical, you might not know she has cleavage. Oh, yeah. Uh, no one can say happy holidays and no one can say hot chocolate. It has to be Merry Christmas and hot cocoa. What? Uh-huh. And there has to be a happy ending. Okay. Those are the rules. Wait, wait, but you said there was no sexual content. Oh, never mind. Never mind. I get you. I get it. The writers did say there is no specific dialogue they have to include, but since the formula is so precise, things get repeated. They just can't help it. Hallmark produces regular Christmas movies and what they call Hall of Fame movies, which we have never seen any of. They shoot year-round, but the Hall of Fame ones are the most likely to be shot in the winter because then they can get... Snow. Real snow. Oh, wow. The other movies, it is fake snow for the most part, but they can get real snow. The non-Hall of Fame movies, they are shooting in July, wearing all of those clothes. You can't even show the cleavage to get cooled off. 
Uh, some of their Hall of Fame movies have actually won Emmys. I think I saw something like 80 Emmy Awards. But they also used to be things like Shakespeare and opera, and now they're this. <laughs> now, notice, I'm not complaining about these movies, but they are not Shakespeare. They are not opera. And you know how much I, like, listen to last week if you want to hear me have some opinions on Shakespeare. But okay. So we were watching these movies, and we were, like, noticing, like, some same set pieces, but it wasn't snowy. It's like, oh, wow. And it's like, it was hilarious. They're trying to pretend, like, this autumn, like, it was like autumn in Canada was winter in Louisiana. It was great. I don't know what movie you're talking about right now. Rodeo and Juliet. I have blocked that out. Another part of the whole deal is that they use the same people over and over. This includes the writers, which I think is kind of awesome because it means that they have a steady job. But it also, of course, means the actors. That's like one of the big jokes all about this. They're largely people who were very famous 20 years ago, but that makes them very recognizable to their target audience. People who haven't paid attention to media for 20 years. People our age and a little bit older who like the nostalgia factor. I just like them because they're so cheesy. Though there are some A-listers like Danny Glover who has been in these movies. I love Danny Glover. So as of 2019, their most common actors from regular and Christmas movies, so both, were Jessica Loundis, who has done five movies, and you would know her from Greek or the new 90210. Luke McFarlane, who's done seven he did the TV show Brothers and Sisters, and he was on the TV show Smash, which I'm still going to make Austin watch. Uh, Alicia Witt, who has done seven. She was on Orange is the New Black and one episode of Supernatural. Who was she in Orange is the New Black? I think her name, character's name was Zelda. I didn't write down character names. Okay. Uh, Taylor Cole, who did seven. She was in Heroes, and she was also on an episode of Supernatural, two episodes of Supernatural, where she played, I did write this down, the daughter of the auction house owner who had the painting that was killing people. Okay. Then Autumn Reeser has done eight. She was on the OC. Brennan Elliott, who has done 11, and he was on Strong Medicine. Donica McKellar, who has done 11. She was on The Wonder Years. Andrew Walker, who's done 12, who was on Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Lacey Chabert, who has done 17. What? what, 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 uh, So, lots for Gretchen Wieners, bye. So much for Gretchen Wieners. She was in Mean Girls, and she was in Christian Mingle. Okay, we are, uh, (laughs) we're getting Hallmark, and we're just going to watch. Christian Mingle is not a Hallmark movie, to be clear. It is not. Like, I like cheesy movies. Christian Mingle crossed the line. Christian Mingle was somehow managed to be racist and no it, it didn't, like, it's not it even like, somehow it was racist it was and, racist it, it was, was like very much like white savior racist yes and then of course candace cameron beret who has done 18 she is the queen of the hallmark movies and she was on full house yeah oh i wonder if Lori laughlin's gonna be in these anymore she does the lifetime ones oh she does lifetime okay yes Oh, so we don't care about her. And she's in jail anyway. I have heard that her TV show has has held her spot for her. I am irrationally angry about the whole thing because all I can think is her kids got the spot that someone who needed a scholarship was going to get. Yeah. It's not that her that she lied to get her kids into college. It's that she lied to get them a scholarship. It's like you, you've got you've got that like Heartland or Home is Where the Heart Is or Heart bullshit something. I don't know. It's like, yeah, there are cutoffs for how many students can be accepted, but the cutoffs for how many kids can get scholarships is even stricter. And there are kids who actually did things like rowing who were like, this is my way to pay for college. This is my way to do it. And she's like, hmm. Yeah, I know I'm really rich, but... Well, I know my da- the only skill my daughter has is partying on boats. That's basically rowing, so we'll <laughs> on that. 
All right. So move, So speaking of, let's talk about the controversy over these Hallmark movies. Yes, yes, yes. Good with the segues today. So Michelle Vickery, that executive vice president, said, quote, there is a wide range of things that happen to people over the holiday season, and we try to represent those. Are they? Are they I don't know. Um, sometimes not having snow happens to me over the holiday season, and I call it the holiday season. We never have snow. Like, we almost never have snow on Christmas. I think we did, like, two years ago, but who cares anymore? So a lot of people are starting to say, no, this does not, in fact, represent a wide range of experiences. For one thing, the movies tend to be super conservative in nature. So I already mentioned, like, the no mean words, the no sexuality. But as you know, like, no, not as you know, but... I think that's all kind of okay. I'm not talking about, you know, ignoring sexual preferences or sexual orientations, not preferences, orientations. I'm going to restate that. Yeah. So when I'm saying it's pretty okay to ignore sexuality, I'm not talking about ignoring sexual orientation. I'm talking about they don't need to be talking about sex. That's not necessary. We don't need sexual content. Yes. Because these are supposed to be for family friendly and you don't want to... I get you. You're watching, you know, you wouldn't want to have to watch Claymation Rudolph and explain what the deer are doing in the background. But then they take it too far. It's like saying, we're not going to have cuss words. We're not going to have sex. We're not going to have drugs. We're not going to have alcohol other than a glass of wine. Cool. If that's what you want to do, make it PG. That's fine with me. But uh, they began as two different religious channels, which merged in 1993 and became the Faith and Values Channel, and then the Odyssey Network, which Hallmark and then weirdly the Jim Henson Company bought together. And they bought that in 1998, renamed it the Hallmark Channel in 2001. It actually does not air religious programming. They did not make Christian Mingle. So, yes, it's rooted in that. Like, And Christmas, it depends on how you're interpreting Christmas. Because you'll notice in these Christmas movies, they don't go to church. No. They might mention, oh, we got to go to church tomorrow. But like, they don't actually go. Yeah, there is like very little religious content in these Christmas movies. Yeah, these are conceptual Christmas, not religious Christmas movies. It's like they'll have like... You might see a manger scene somewhere and you may, you hear some like, you know, Christian-y Christmas carols. Mm-hmm. That's about the extent of it. So one of those anonymous writers said that they felt like they were writing movies from the 1940s, except the 1940s were often edgier. <laughs> yeah. On top of the air of conservatism, though, and maybe a little bit too much of a dash of traditional values and, you know, women not being allowed to have a life, uh, their diversity is not great. In 2018, Vickery was asked about their record with that, and she could only name two movies that had prominent roles for Black actors, plus the Hall of Fame one with Danny Glover, so three, and the those movies still all had white leads. Danny Glover was not the lead of his own movie. And that same year, 2018, they released a movie called Christmas Everlasting, which had mostly white actors, but they had the question of, but will our mostly white audience actually like this movie and be okay with it? Remember a while back I did a series of episodes about the history of black representation in film, and they had the same question about Roots, and apparently the Hallmark Channel just never learned about that. Oh, no. So one of those anonymous writers also said that they just write everyone white, and they don't even bother to fight the battle because they know they're going to lose. Normally, they will end up with a black friend or a black boss, and they always have to be a positive character because you don't want to in any way have the villain of the movie or just the one that they don't like very much, be somebody who's not white. Which, yeah, if the rest of your character's always going to be white, that's a smart choice. But maybe some more diversity would be great. They've also mentioned that Meghan Markle has been in some, but the writer said, yeah, it's gotten worse since Meghan Markle. Like She was the romantic lead in these movies, and she's biracial, so they didn't know whether to put her with a black actor or a white actor. <gasps> the, last one she did was in tw- the last one she did was in 2016, and this is 2018 where this interview was. They've got, they got worse in two years, and she didn't do any of the Christmas ones. She just did the regular ones. 
The writer also pointed out that these movies are shot in Canada, which they said is hard place to find non-white actors. No. Uh, Supernatural does a pretty good job of that, and they shoot in Canada. White, well, Supernatural does get some complaints about being overwhelmingly white, and then obviously because they've got their main cast and everybody else who comes in and out is usually a bad guy, they've gotten, some, they've gotten in some trouble with people for having their people of color that they come in as actors playing the villains. But at the same time, those are the only roles that are there, other than Bobby's friend Rufus, who I really liked Rufus. Um, but yeah, we watch, like, every TV show is shot in Canada now. And this is going to shock you all. There are people who aren't white in Canada. There are even people who aren't black in Canada. There are Asian people. There are people from Latin and South America. What? Yeah. But, you know, the film industry doesn't want you to know these things. Oh, never. And it's not just racial diversity they've been criticized for. There are people out there who want to fall in love, but they're not straight. Did you know that? What? Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. It wasn't that long ago, even, that Hallmark caved to pressure to remove the Zola ads with two brides in them. And they that kind of made people realize, wait a second, you also don't have gay characters in your movies. Well, they actually did apologize after that. Apology. Uh, po- uh, air quotes apologize. Yeah. And then this year they aired a movie called Wedding Every Weekend in which one of the weddings was of two women. The trailer left out the kiss. The movie did not. But these were characters that were in it for like five seconds. This was not the movie. This year they have a movie coming out called The Christmas House that I think it comes out today actually, which has Jonathan Bennett from Mean Girls and Cake Wars. And he is playing half of a same-sex married couple who are trying to adopt a kid, which is super risky for Hallmark. So I'm like, okay, kudos to you on that. But they are not the lead characters. They are the secondary characters. His brother is the one that's the romantic lead in this movie. But it's a step, I guess. Um, And I do like that they're having them have this plotline of they're trying to adopt a kid because that is still so stupidly controversial because God forbid a kid has two loving parents. Oh, the horror. So like... They have an interesting storyline, but in a way, they're also still kind of relegated to being the equivalent of the sassy black friend. Yeah. And we need to figure something out about that. And I'm worried that the plan is to not do it again if audiences don't like it. Like, they're leaving that door open. I mean, I'm, I'm just going to throw this out there. These characters are so generic. You could rewrite any of these movies where one of the leads was just a, a guy instead of a girl, and the movie would not change in any way, shape, or form. And I will say, though, when you're watching Christmas, uh, The Princess Switch... Did you notice that there were same-sex couples who were dancing at the party and stuff? Yes, and I did. And nobody commented on it. It was mm-hmm. just like, look at them dancing and having fun like everybody yeah. else. It's like, yeah, they weren't the leads, kind of like this. But that seems to be more normal with Netflix. It's just, these are our characters. And in 2018, they commissioned some Hanukkah movies. Remember how you mentioned that earlier? Yay, Hanukkah movies! So that's- Are they following the exact same formula? I'll talk about it. Okay. That Wedding Every Weekend movie actually did have an interracial Jewish wedding in it. Ooh. Almost like they were kind of testing it out. It's like, we are, but... it's like we're going to hit all we're gonna hit all of our bases in this one movie and see what happens. Well, actually, though, I, I misspoke. Their Hanukkah movies actually started in 2019 with an article from the Washington Post saying that they are just Christmas movies making fun of Hanukkah because the big controversy in them is that they get to the holiday party and it turns out one of their guests is Jewish and the Christians are all wearing the red shirts and the Jewish people are all wearing the blue shirts. And neither one has any idea what the other holiday is like. What? No, no. Every, every no, everybody knows what Christmas is about. You can, like, yeah. you can be dropped off in the middle of Borneo and talk to like anyone. It's like, oh yeah, Christmas. No matter what that horrible racist song from the 80s tells us, everybody knows it's Christmas. Everybody knows it's Christmas. 
And because it is the de facto religion and holiday in the United States, doesn't matter what religion you are, you are at least fairly aware of Christmas. And 99% of Christians are at least vaguely aware of Hanukkah. So it's kind of a stupid plot line. And that was the basic controversy in these movies. So with them saying they're trying to do better, they still have um, a lot of vocal people in Vancouver who decided that they were fed up. And the, there was a casting director who said that they weren't allowed to cast interracial couples. They were told that the black actors had to be, quote, less hood. A talent agent said that agent that his, he was an extras casting agent. They were pushed to the back of any crowd scenes or off the edge of the screen. Hallmark says that's not a thing. And their written guidelines do not have that in it. And the everybody in the interview went, yeah, that's true. They're written guidelines do not the unwritten guidelines the The, this is de facto not de jure this is literal conversations we have had with people who work for hallmark you just just because you didn't write it down doesn't mean that we're not that it didn't happen so i will point out that hallmark is not alone in these criticisms lifetime has also had these diversity issues they announced that this year their movie will have lgbtq romances and a chinese american family These movies have been going Wait, on for they, so long. Do they and you even know it's Christmas? <laughs> that was in Africa, Austin. Oh. That was in Africa. Guys, we are not recommending that song. No, it's... we. Uh, there's a reason we're making fun of it. They also had their first Hanukkah movie last year, too. It was the exact same plot as the Hallmark ones. The interviewing... but And also, the in the interview with the filmmakers in Vancouver, one of them was like, every, every movie of the week is this. It's not just the big networks. I do a lot of work with movies of the week, and... Every single time, it's these exact same issues to the point where one executive told him that the buyers don't want openly gay or biracial interracial couples. And he actually was like, I don't like it, but I've got to do what sells. But it goes back to the whole roots thing. We learned that people, if the, if the story is good, yeah, it's... at worst, some stuff's going to make us uncomfortable when it's yeah. supposed to. But honestly, if you are, if it's 2020 and you're offended by an interracial couple, maybe it's time to turn your TV off and go hide in a closet. Closet. yeah like you're done you Wait, are no we, um our tv's off and we're hiding in the closet this doesn't apply to us right it does not apply to us okay thank god now if this all turns you off of these movies that's fine you do have alternatives netflix is making these hallmark is making not hallmark i mean yes but hulu is making these like we watched the princess switch like we said two of the three vanessa's hudgens in it are in interracial relationships because vanessa hudgens herself is not white and one of the romances is with a white guy. One of the romances is with a guy I would ass- I, I think is black. Yeah. Um, I'm not. Sh- I'm not saying he's definitely 100% black. Um, yes. but the daughter. The daughter was in the first movie. But I'm not going <laughs> to get- recast. They her. recast her. <laughs> oh boy, that's a whole other oh, controversy. Man. Just look so on yeah, Twitter. He, uh, Netflix also doesn't avoid all the controversy. But they it also. Got- but the, but they also have not said why they had to recast her. So I'm. I'm going to withhold a little bit of judgment on it. I mean, it's not like it's Sia or something. Oh, God. I'm not going to get into that. Oh, no. We probably shouldn't. No. Um, so, yeah, they probably they should have gone for a, a char- an actor of a similar skin tone. But I also wasn't there at their casting thing. I don't know who showed up. Yeah. it's If you're getting child actors, you might not have perfect replacements for people. Yeah. But if there was somebody who was good and was of a similar skin tone, they should have gone with them. Yeah. Um, no shade to the girl in the movie, though. She's probably 14 years old and she did a good job yeah yeah hitting stuff but with all of this why do people even progressive ones like me in austin keep watching these movies it's they are formulaic i can like halfway pay attention to them and get the entire movie one because i'm busy and doing other shit 
And it's just comforting. Well, according to Pamela Rutledge, a behavioral scientist, because they've interviewed multiple psychologists about this across <laughs> multiple locations, across multiple publications, people can't figure this out. Okay, uh, it, it sounds like there's officially been more research into your topic than in my topic, and this is disturbing on several levels when we get into mine. So Rutledge says, quote, The human brain loves patterns and predictability is cognitively rewarding. These predictable story arcs that draw on the standard patterns we recognize from fairy tales offer comfort by presenting life as simple and moralistic. And let's be honest, the holidays are super stressful, possibly this year more than ever before. They provide a comforting distraction. We get 90 minutes of our lives going away and us getting to see the story that we we know it's going to turn out okay. We know that these are, you know, these are obnoxiously good people for the most part. Everything is going to be fine. And we know the steps it's going to take to become fine. They give us these, honestly, things that in real life would be huge problems, like the creepy stalker guy from the military showing up at your house, or someone that you were in love with 20 years ago showing up and you're with somebody else now and you're having to like make these decisions. These would be big problems in real life, but we know watching these movies, they're going to solve them and it's going to be fine. Everybody's going to be happy. It feels good. They give us hope is what it comes down to. And other psychologists agree with this. Psychologist Joe Gee says they release oxytocin and dopamine and, quote, are generally good for our mental health. Social worker Alana Katz says cheesy Christmas movies in general go straight to our limbic systems and our brains since they crave attachment. These movies give us that because we are watching people form attachments. And psychology professor Chris Ferguson says it's actually possibly a form of classical conditioning. <laughs> Especially if you're watching movies that remind you in some way or are the same Christmas movies you watched as a kid. That's Is that why I always start drooling whenever I hear Christmas bells now? That's something else. I'll talk to you about it later. And watching movies we, we watched growing up, uh, those provide a lot of comfort. If we can't find those movies, we watch ones that have similar formulas. It also helps if you had really good experiences with Christmas as a child. You don't have to have had them for them, these to be comforting, but that adds a whole different level of nostalgia to it. And there's a there was a psychology word I wrote down that had to do with nostalgia comfort, basically, where you feel like wrapped up and safe again because these remind you of these things that happened that were good. Now, if that's not you, psychology professor Skip Dane says Skip Dine Young says Dine Young uh, also says that this is normal, saying no movie is always going to have a positive impact for a given person. There's one last thing I want to mention. Not only women love these movies, men secretly love them too. Yes. According to an article in The Observer called Why Manly Men Love Hallmark Movies, an investigation, exclamation point. Well, it's because they're wearing flannel shirts and I relate. Well, their reasons are largely similar to everybody else. They're comforting. They're predictable. A dude named David Quigley, who is 67, says he watches them literally every day. Not the Christmas ones necessarily, but the Hallmark style movies. I enjoy watching them because... Uh, I enjoy watching them because there's no negativity. There's no violence in there. I watch a lot of TV shows and I see people getting killed and there's a bunch of negative stuff. I get tired of watching that stuff. And considering everything else we watch is crime and horror, I can see that. uh, We went straight from watching Broadchurch, which is a... uh, So good. There's even a podcast that we need to check out. We have not listened to it yet called Deck the Hallmark, which is hosted by three men. They watch the Hallmark Christmas movies and talk about them. They all say that their wives only tolerate these movies. They don't (laughs) enjoy them. The men love them. Now, there's a psychologist who talks specifically about these. I don't really know if I like what he had to say. I'll, I'll see what you have to say. He focuses on men and work issues. It's kind of a cool thing to focus on. He says these movies may provide an emotional release that men aren't normally able or allowed to have. He tended to lean more heavily on the able 
I hope he meant aloud. Uh, they tend to, men tend to live in a world where they can be frustrated, angry, tired, and horny. And these movies let them tap into other feelings and show them how those emotions are supposed to be. It's that does that tracks. That tracks. I'll show you the full quote because he said something about how men are like a piano with 88 keys, but they're not able to get out of the middle octave. No, no, it's we are able to. It's just not socially acceptable to. Yeah. And that was what bothered me was the able. No, we, they can't. They can't. Um, but in response, one man who watches them, he, he was like, what do you think of this? He goes, I like them because they're easy to look at and don't take a lot of thought. And I think that's what it boils down to. This time of year, especially, we are all stressed out and everybody wants some kind of comfort. And even if there is no nostalgia factor, these can kind of provide that comfort. And if you're not with a family, you get to watch like these people be happy with a family and you think maybe that could be me, too. And the big problems, because they do have some big problems, can get solved and we get to disappear in that for a while. And if we're being honest, we all kind of want that. Mm -hmm. So that is Hallmark Christmas movies, Hallmark movies in general, the history and psychology behind them and their controversies. Wow. That was a trip. I loved it. You're going to hear questions. Yeah, we're going to hear questions. Will the strict formula for these movies be on the test? Yes. Will the rules about what they can and can't say or do be on the test? Absolutely. Will the controversy over the lack of diversity be on the test? Because no, because then we'd have to acknowledge that that's a problem. And will the psychological benefits of these movies be on the test? Yes. If we're able to put that on there. All right. You were talking about something that like, you know, you can hopefully talk about with your family and avoid controversy. Well, I came in loaded for bear to help you find that controversy and cram it down someone's throat over a Zoom meeting. This water does not have any vodka in it. And that is unfortunate. Well, it's I'm glad it doesn't because that would be very much against my topic. Because I'm going to talk about the D.A.R.E. program. Oh, God. Hey, hey, 90s kids. You remember D.A.R.E.? Yes. Yeah, because I saw a list of like only 90s kids will remember this. And I thought, first of all, that's bullshit because D.A.R.E. program started in the 80s and it still exists. How do we define 90s kids anyway? Because you and I were both born in the 80s. I, know, I don't know. But yeah, there might not be a lot of scientific rigor around these bugs, BuzzFeed listicles. BuzzFeed has some really hard-hitting journalism these I days, know, but though. Like, I'm not talking about listicles. I'm talking about like... I, I, I'm going to say the hard-hitting journalism does not extend to the listicle market. I bet they've had some hard-hitting journalistic listicles. And then they also have the BuzzFeed Unsolved kind of things. And, you know... Yes, and not only has this been all around for forever, it's also been a failure from the start, and it is still going on. And I'm going to talk about the history of the D.A.R.E. program. It's amazing how many things were failures from the start, and we just let them keep going. Meanwhile, when something is kind of a question mark at the start, the education system just gets rid of it, replaces it before they can find out if it's a failure, <laughs> except for this. In the 1980s, uh, drug use was rising. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of factors that went into this, mm -hmm. and it's we could be here all day going into them, but this it was rising, and lots of parents, especially suburban parents, were worried about it. Mm -hmm. And then, because of that, so was Nancy fucking Reagan. Which, by the way... I feel like she should have had some bigger things to worry about. Yeah, like, I don't know, the AIDS epidemic? The AIDS epidemic, her husband's Alzheimer's. Yeah, which, by the way, like, Nancy Reagan, instead of, like, your just say no shit, which never worked and never would have worked, you could have done something about AIDS. Yeah, and stuff like that, like, just do this makes it sound like it's easy. I actually yeah. almost talked about toxic positivity this week, but there's not enough to it. So it's like saying, you know, attitude is everything and only you are responsible for your choices. Or 
um, you know, anything that's supposed to be inspirational, anything that's supposed to be like, you're an awesome person, it makes you feel like a failure if you don't just say no, if you don't feel awesome that day. And honestly, in a way, I kind of wonder if things like this contribute to the drug problem, not because of them teaching you how to do this stuff, but because you feel like you've already failed if you don't know how to say no. And so in addition to the uh, mass incarceration mm-hmm. that came along with the war on drugs, uh, there's also a bunch of like PSAs that brought us things like Nancy Reagan's Just Say No. Like anybody has ever offered Nancy Reagan drugs. I mean, has Nancy Reagan ever been to a party? I don't even think Nancy Reagan knows what a party is. It's like one maybe Ronnie offered her a jelly bean once and she said no, but who knows? Although I will I will say this as somebody who has been offered drugs at parties multiple times. If you do just say no, they'll usually be like, okay, cool. Yeah, drugs are expensive. You don't want to force them on someone. No. Yeah. Like I, I I have never accepted drugs at a party, ever. And they hey, do you want some weed? No, thank you. Okay, cool. And just because we're talking about these, I love I love these. There was the egg commercial, you know, the this is your brain. Yes. And they show you the egg. I... Then they crack the egg, they put it in a frying pan, so this is your brain on drugs. Any questions? Many questions. Yeah. Um, first of all, when did my brain come out of a chicken's ass? <laughs> Secondly, did it get uh, stuck it came in out of the a ass? chicken's cloaca? And did they have to put it back in because it got stuck on the egg? So it's like it's like, so my brain went from being something unconsumable to something that is a, of use to the body. Okay. Yeah. It's just like. Okay. Maybe... No, no, no. Our brains are consumable. We learned that from Hannibal. We did. The the, the commercial where the dad comes in and says, I found the I found your weed, son. Who? Where, how did you learn to do this? He said, I learned it from watching you, dad. <laughs> I learned it from you, dad. I learned it from you. Kirk Cameron from Growing Pains. Oh, my telling God. Telling the kids not to do drugs. Um, all of these weird, like, rap things or, like, just pop songs where it's, like, all these hoppy kids in the car and this other car pulls up and it's like, hey, I let me hand you a beer. And a girl grabs it and dumps it on his head and he goes, oh, no, I've been spo- I've been foiled by this girl saying no to my beer. Did he actually say that? Because that would be amazing No, it commercial. was completely silent. They were just happily dancing and they were both in convertibles that pulled up next to each other. It was but stupid now, Okay, so, yeah, he's, like, giving alcohol to somebody in a car, but she just committed assault. Yeah. And of course, uh, the classic uh, Saved by the Bell episode. Are, it, are it, we not going to mention the meth commercial? Oh, you, we can talk about the meth commercial. Go ahead and finish your Saved by the Bell. Yeah, thing. the Saved by the Bell where uh, Jesse gets hooked on caffeine pills and acts <laughs> like she has been mainlining an entire kilo of crack. As somebody who has been on Adderall for three years now, that's not a reaction that happens to these things. And more importantly, these were caffeine pills. This was like, what is it like if she had drinking a, a cup of coffee? Did she do this? Like, I will say there was an Adderall shortage about a year and a half ago, and it really did mess with me because my brain does not work. And so I was really distracted. I was really sad and things like that. But at no point did I talk about how excited and scared I was. Yeah. And uh, Zach didn't have to come in and help you. So it'd be super weird if Zach Morris came in through my window. Well, it's like he'd just go time out and then we'd freeze and he'd come in and he'd take your Adderall. And he's like, I've got your drugs now and you can't stop me. And then he'd run out and we'd be frozen in time. (laughs) I don't think Mark Paul Gosler would do that to us. No, he would never. Now, uh, Slater. Slater absolutely would. We're going to get sued by Slater. <laughs> hey, at least we're not talking about Screech. I think the less is said about Screech, the better. So what was, what was this meth commercial? So the meth commercial, if you ask me, it's an advertisement for meth. <laughs> I can't sleep and I can't eat, but I've got the cleanest house on the street. So Oh, meth. Ooh, meth. Oh, meth. Ooh, meth. 
And all I could think was, I don't sleep anyway, but it'd be really nice to never be tired. And this is back in high school. I was like, and I would really like to lose some weight and my house would be clean all the time. Where's the downside? <laughs> yeah. Again, never done meth because yikes. But if they had just shown pictures of like people with their skin coming off mm-hmm. or on fire. <laughs> yeah. But no, instead it was... You never have to sleep. You never have to eat. And your house will always be clean. It sounded like a great thing. Yeah. So, uh, again, a lot of this stuff didn't work. I'm sure. As, as you're shocked. And, of course, in 1983, uh, the D.A.R.E. program started. The LAPD chief, Daryl Gates, which, yes, D.A.R.E. was kind of a pun on his name because he invented it. I was about it. to ask. Does D.A.R.E. stand for something? Yeah. It's a... Uh, oh, gosh. It's like Drug Addiction Resistance Education. Okay. Yeah. Again, they, I think they thought of the acronym first, and then they built backwards from there. Well, they were daring to keep kids off of drugs. Yeah. LAPD chief Daryl Gates was disturbed by the high success of drug buying stings in schools. We were we were arresting a lot of kids for drawing, for buying drugs in schools from these LAPD stings. Now, it wasn't he was he was disturbed by this. They Not- were the ones selling the drugs to them. Yeah. So when you have access to something, you're more likely to use it. I know. Yeah, this. So instead of like, you no, know, he's not disturbed enough to actually, you know, stop this, but he decided we need to get these kids off of drugs. So he teamed up with the LA Unified School District and the Lions Club. There's actually a, a short musical. Sorry, based, Rotary Club. There's actually a short musical based on something like this. It's called 21 Chump Street and it's Lynn Manuel Miranda's. And it's about a sting operation that yeah. got a kid in trouble who was not a drugger. Drug, yeah. Drugger. Drug, not a drugger. He, 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 was, he, wasn't, he, wasn't, he wasn't one of those duggers. He didn't have 19 siblings. He was not a drug user. Yeah. So, yeah, he teamed up and uh, to make a program to educate students about drug abuse. Uh, it teamed up with police officers to talk to students. Because originally there was a couple of educators designing a program called SMART, and this was kind of their first draft. And the police said, oh, we can use this. And I thought, you know what? Police have more knowledge about drugs and street <laughs> culture than we do. It might be useful to bring in police officers to talk to students about this. Yeah, except for teachers are the ones in classrooms with these kids every day understanding the psychology specifically of this demographic. Mm-hmm. So the police took it and ran with it. Um, yeah. The officers would go in and they would teach students about the dangers of drug use, including uh, prison sentences, addiction, uh, the poor economic outcomes, physical and mental health problems associated with drugs, and even death. They would talk to kids about using drugs can cause this. You don't want to do drugs. They thought if they would go through and talk about the dangers of drug use and the very real, like what this does and like how it affects you, it would be enough to keep kids from doing drugs. Mm -hmm. It wasn't. And they would also go through some super realistic scenarios with the class about how to say no to drugs. Now, you want to role play one really fast? I made you read some Shakespeare last week. Yeah. Hi, fellow teen. <laughs> How do you do, fellow teens? Do you want to fix, skip physics class and go shoot heroin to, into our eyeballs behind the gym? Why am I in physics class to begin with? Let's go. Now, what you should have said <laughs> is, no, drugs aren't cool. But I'll say, then I would have said, but doing drugs is what the cool kids are doing. Do I need to say something? Just say no. Doing drugs is what the cool kids are doing? Is that what you said? Yeah, that's what I said. Okay. Say it again. Okay. But all the cool kids are doing drugs. Drugs are cool. Well, everybody has been making fun of me lately and saying that I need to try harder to fit in. And like even the teachers when I reported the bullying are saying... Why don't you just try being normal? And if this can take me from not even not even a normal, but to cool, thank you. 
Let's go. What she should have said was, drugs are never cool, loser. And then did the L on the forehead thing and walked away. Wait, is the L on the forehead really part of what they want you to do? Yes, it is. No, it wasn't. Oh, bummer. But yeah, this is, they were like very scripted things in which a police officer would pretend like these very realistic scenarios where someone wants to do heroin with you in school. I feel like if they just said, sometimes the person selling you the drugs is an undercover cop, that probably would be all they needed to say. Yeah. And then they'd go through, you could just say no to it. And then they'd do this big, like, it was just, they'd say this, and then the entire class would respond with a, Dr- no, uh, drugs aren't cool. Or, I can't, I have homework. Just stuff like that. Hey, I know it's the middle of the school day, but do you want to skip physics and shoot some heroin? No, I have homework. What? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, unrealistic situations that these kids would never encounter in ways that just don't exist in the world. Because no, no one is ever going to... First of all, if you're doing heroin, you're not going to be doing it during school. Also, that's not the first drug that you have taken. No, it is not. That is... Like... You I, work your I, way up to that one. I am sure there's like a couple people in the world who started with heroin, but, but usually you're... Okay, gateway drug... Weed is often the first thing that you do, but weed does not lead to heroin. It just leads to you, like, knowing people who are more likely to have access. But opioids do lead to heroin. Yes. And, of course, they also have, um, in this program, all the other things that, you know, kids think are really cool that will definitely teach them to not do drugs. Like a lion mascot named Darren. Not Daryl. Not Daryl. Darren. Lame. Yep. Darren the lion. And uh, police departments would actually purchase cool cars like Corvettes and Jeeps. Oh, God, I remember and paint those. And on them because, you know, kids really respond to nice cars. Okay, that's true, though, because I got to ride in the Batmobile once. <laughs> that's so much cooler. Okay, Batman wouldn't want you to do drugs. If they just said Batman... Oh, please, can- you cannot tell me that Bruce Wayne is not sitting up there doing a whole lot of coke. That's how he stays up all night. Mm-hmm. No, I remember those Corvettes, though. And I'll tell you, the only time I've ever seen in real life I've seen cars that nice is when they were doing drug deals in front of my old apartment. <laughs> I interrupted one once and it was uh, cocaine or meth. I don't. Probably, I, there, uh, the, the, I leaned towards cocaine because there wasn't a smell, but the apartment building did burn down later. So. Yeah, it was probably meth. It's, but I also didn't have a sense of smell back then, did I? Yeah, no, you didn't. Yeah, I had surgery and have a sense of smell, smell now. That's the long. That's the short version. Yeah. So, and of course, have these cool cars. And at its peak, about 75% of school districts had a D.A.R.E. program. So, this is something that sounds like it should work, right? You tell no. kids about how drugs are dangerous, and they're just going to listen to you. That's not how this works. And here are some of the reasons why. First of all, and this was the biggest <laughs> one, one. Psychology. Psychology. <laughs> it's like, kids don't let them listen to authority figures. Uh, I was a really good kid. Yeah. <laughs> In general, it's like... It's I like, was also, I was not lying when the teachers were even telling me that I had to try to be normal. <laughs> that was true. Maybe you should have been doing heroin behind the gym. <laughs> this was in second and third grade, Austin. It's never too early to start. You've always been a prodigy. <laughs> so, yeah, and another big thing was the lack of credibility. Like, for example, the biggest example is their marijuana scaremongering, in which they'd say, you know, pot is addictive. It'll make you stupid. It'll lower your IQ. It'll cause heart problems. None of this was true. Actually, you want to know something interesting? What? Um, I was doing some research on a related topic recently, and there actually is evidence that newer versions of marijuana might actually be addictive. Ooh. And I'm not saying that as a, you know, get rid of green cards, because I actually think that medical marijuana is a good thing. Yeah. Um, but 
oh God, it has a, it's like marijuana dependency disorder or something. They're not quite sure if it's crossed the line from a, so there's, there are two different things. There is substance abuse and there's substance dependency. And they're not really sure where this falls along the line, but they think it's because modern marijuana has significantly more THC in it than previous marijuana did, but we're taking it in the same amounts. And so they actually think that there is some evidence that modern marijuana can cause a chemical dependency. Interesting. I'm not saying it does. I am saying that that is preliminary research. But it probably not because it hasn't before. And I mean, it's kind of like if you there's a reason you don't up your meds without your doctor telling you to. Yeah. So. And this lack of credibility, especially with like and saying that marijuana has no medical benefits. Or I remember in elementary school, they're saying that there's no medical benefit to marijuana, while things like medical marijuana use was like front page news. You can mm-hmm. see this on the news. Like, yeah, there are these medical benefits to marijuana and we're trying to get it legalized. Meanwhile, the officers were saying, no, there isn't, yeah. despite clear evidence to the contrary. And people would grow up and they'd see members of the community, like you know, people they go to school with who are like, you know, do well on tests, aren't idiots, who do smoke pot and are fine. And they realize, mm-hmm. oh, they lied to me about this. What else did they lie to me about yeah. this and dare? Yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, there is the whole, like, young adult. It's like, yeah, some people are going to addicted, but not me. They yeah. don't really take that into effect. Yeah. And then also, even with addictive substances, not everybody does become addicted. Most yeah. do. Um, But the whole, like, oh, yeah, you sniff it once, you're addicted. I don't think that can happen. <laughs> yeah, it's... Like... Don't do it. Don't test that out. Yeah, it's... Again, it's like developmentally for a lot of people, for young adults, like long term consequences aren't something no. they are aware of. No, you need they to cannot have, comprehend. Things long-term. need to be black and white, and you need to, and which is probably why they say no medical. But maybe if you have to, maybe if you have to lie to them, you're teaching it too young. Yeah, and of course, then there's the mistrust of authority because this is the police coming in, and there are a lot of communities where there is very little trust in the police. Yeah, especially when it comes to the LAPD. Uh-huh. And um, they were also asking kids to anonymously report mm-hmm. adults and people they knew who were using mm-hmm. drugs mm-hmm. in these that. boxes at the front of the classroom. I remember that. So further degrading this trust because they were asking you to snitch on people. And what happens to snitches? They get stitches. Mm-hmm. And of course, these lectures were boring. Yes. Oh my God, they were so boring. These were just lectures about drugs and you'd learn it, you'd take the quiz, then you'd forget it. And it's just like these pe- people who took it, it's like, yeah, I remember doing, I remember in D.A.R.E. we did learn all this stuff, but I was not exposed to drugs in any meaningful way until years after the uh-huh. fact. And I had forgotten any of the lessons we had learned in D.A.R.E. Yeah. There's actually a study study at the University of Ohio, Ohio University and Pennsylvania State, um, which they showed that actually teaching students about these drugs and drug use actually increased curiosity about doing drugs in students. Which is interesting. I think it must have to do with the way you teach it, because we also know that having accessible condoms and increasing sex education lowers the chance that you're going to have sex. And if you are going to do it, increases the chance of you doing it safely. They couldn't find a clear reason for this, but the prevailing theory was it normalized drug use, in which it took something from like, you know, this person does drugs and they are a pride society. It's like, yeah, these are drugs. This is what they do. And it's like, oh, okay, I understand this now. And it loses that sort of social stigma about drug use. Well, I mean, we also don't want to teach sex sex ed with the social stigma attached to it, though. And we've managed to do that successfully. But I think that part of it is that anecdotes are actually more successful than facts and figures are. 
like we, that's why anti-vaxxers sometimes change their minds is you tell them real stories as opposed to facts and figures. So maybe if they'd actually like Austin and I were talking about this yesterday, if they'd actually brought in somebody who was recovering from an addiction issue or something, that probably would have been more effective. Yeah. And of course, it was also an untested curriculum that was mm-hmm. taken out of the hands of educators and put in, into the hands of the police. <sighs> By 1991, there had been more than a dozen studies showing that D.A.R.E. didn't work. Mm-hmm. At best, it had short-term results. Uh, tobacco use. I was not actively doing drugs during my D.A.R.E. lesson. Yeah. No, that was it. It was like... It was like it, as soon as I left the classroom, though. The best cases in D.A.R.E. was it dropped off for a year or so after, then picked back up to normal. Mm-hmm. Uh, or sometimes exceeded. Tobacco use was really the only thing affected by it. Uh, tobacco use was lowered. And um, it's really its biggest impact was just increasing kids' self-esteem. Not sure why, but it was the thing. Definitely didn't yeah. increase mine. Uh, yeah. Marijuana, alcohol use, and other drugs were just completely unaffected by D.A.R.E. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the people behind D.A.R.E. resisted any pressure to change their curriculum. Even the original educators who developed this program came and said, hey, we're looking at this. A lot of this is outdated. We need to update D.A.R.E. We need to change this. We've got a a lot of things we need to fix if this is going to work. And they were just turned down immediately and said, no, this is working. We know it's working. We don't believe in your facts and figures. This is working great. And it's just a coincidence that we got the COVID after not wearing a mask. Yeah. And this went on for years and years. In 2004, a legislator who uh, asked to remain anonymous in an interview with the New York Times told them that we suspect that there are gaping holes in the program and that it may not be cost effective. But legislators are politicians. No one is going to risk their political future by doing anything other than standing up with the parents. Parents vote. So legislators were going to change it because they didn't want to risk losing their seats for not being tough enough on drugs. Mm-hmm. Because, again, uh, in the 80s, parents were scared of drugs. Well, and right now they're scared of their kids not being able to play f- sports ball. So we're scared yeah. of schools open during COVID. Yeah. Yeah. 80s, scared of drugs. In the 90s, they were squ- scared of crime and gangs. And in the 2000s... I remember D.A.R.E. teaching us about gangs more than drugs. Yeah. That's because we had switched. It's because we weren't as afraid of drugs anymore because our parents were scared of gangs. I actually did go to a school with a gang problem, like a legitimate gang problem. Not once did anybody try to get me to join a gang. I did have to witness a gang initiation once, which I do not recommend because it was fucking terrifying. But also, you can't just say no to joining a gang. There are so many social and emotional and psychological and financial things going into it. So many things. And then. So all of this was going on and like, you know, parents were scared. They couldn't say no to this stuff and they couldn't make the but, police change it. But doesn't D.A.R.E. teach us to just say no? Yeah. And they couldn't and the, they couldn't force the police to change it. And the police weren't interested in changing it because they thought it was working. <laughs> uh, and in fact, uh, D.A.R.E. Uh, resisted critics in a lot of different ways. I won a D.A.R.E. award once. Yeah. Um, they said that knocking D.A.R.E. is like kicking your mother or saying apple pie doesn't taste good. Apple pie doesn't taste good. Oh my God! You must. They uh. They said that people who were critics of Dare were in league with the drug cartels. Yes, not liking apple pie is exactly yeah, what that means. Exactly what that means. Uh, these these were people who just wanted to promote their own programs that were jealous of our success. Yep. Uh, they wait. Would... So you're both in line with the drug cartels, and you want to create an anti-drug curriculum? Yeah. Cool. Um, every time they would be met with like hard statistics about why this wasn't working, they'd just counter it with an anecdote. Like, well, I know a kid who was going to do drugs, but he didn't because I said, just say no. And he said no. So this kid was sitting there during D.A.R.E. class thinking, 
after class, Jimmy said he would offer me some marijuana, but he gave me time to think about it. Yeah. And now I had one dare session. Now I'm not going to do the Mary Jane. And of course, they look at these studies and say, well, you know, we're changing so rapidly. These are studies about what we used to do. Nothing was changing with dare. Nothing. No. Uh, that was, uh, or that, you know, dare is just such a big program. It's nationwide. You're looking at little individual pockets where it's not working, but as a whole, dare is working great. Okay, prove it. Yeah. And of course, and then they'd say, well, you know, the most important statistics are the ones not being measured, which is all the kids we've gotten to. That is literally supposed to be measured. Uh-huh. Uh, you can measure that by looking at the drug use rate in I... dare kids versus non. I know. It's not hard. The National Institute of Justice commissioned a study, and the study concluded that DARE had no measurable effects, that existing programs did better, and DARE could be improved, and if it wasn't improved, DARE could be replaced. They uh, silenced this study and refused (laughs) to publish it, saying it didn't meet their standards. So the people who did the study went on to the American Journal of Public Health, and then uh, DARE actually threatened the journal and the editors saying, you can't publish this, and tried to intimidate them into not publishing it. They published it anyway. It it stood up to peer review and was like, like, yeah, this is all accurate. Dare is failing. Uh, Dare responded by saying it was just popular. To, it was just, you know, people like to pop criticize popular things because Dare is popular. This is just a new popular thing, you know, dumping on Dare. But really, we're working. But didn't they tell us to pick on popular things when we were supposed to tell the popular kid yeah. that drugs weren't cool and he wasn't cool? Yeah. So in the year 2000, the Department of Education... Um, decided they're going to change how they funded drug education programs and only fund ones that were based on evidence. Uh, they dropped Dare. Dun, at that dun, point. Dun. But in, didn't you say it still exists? Yeah, it still exists. In 2001, the Surgeon General concluded that Dare had no merit. Mm-hmm. And uh, in 2003, the uh, the uh, government government authority of oversight uh, estimated that there had that there had been uh, that dare had been costing us between two hundred million and two billion dollars a year, and yet we wanted to get rid of PBS. Uh-huh. And it no and it had no long term effects. And as compared as compared to people who had zero drug education and a control and control groups, it actually resulted in higher drug use in suburban students as to compared to students who had zero drug education. Well, and I do think that there's a difference between you and I grew up, like like I was saying, when I went to parties and people offered me drugs and I said, no, that's coming from a suburban background. If you're coming from a different background, you probably are having a very different experience. And drugs would never have even come to my mind if we hadn't had dare. Yeah. So at this point... Well, except for... It would have. Yeah. But... That's a whole other thing. At this point, D.A.R.E. was, like, their funding was going away rapidly. They were becoming less popular. And politicians were finally able to speak out against D.A.R.E. because parents were no longer scared of drugs and gangs. And they had grown up with the D.A.R.E. program themselves and knew it was bullshit. Yeah. And and there was a big new scary thing that all the parents were terrified of. This is in the 2000s? This is in the 2000s. Terrorism. I was going to say it a lot meaner than that. The mayor of Salt Lake City, which... This is Salt Lake City, the whitest white place on earth. And he said that the D.A.R.E. was a fraud upon the American people. Uh, so D.A.R.E. at this point finally decided it was time to change their curriculum after 20 years. In 2010, their revenue was down to $3.7 million from their $200 million to $2 billion they had been getting before. And shockingly, D.A.R.E. is still around. They even use the same logo. It's just smaller in the corner. And they are still trying to be super cool and talk to the kids. Because the new program in their big, big, big letters that has like dare in the corner is a program they call Keeping It Real. Oh, no. It's 2020, not 1992. Also, uh, this logo, it is using, it looks like a rent poster, like the po- for the musical Rent. Keep going. I'm looking yeah. it up. So it looks, it looks like, so it's like, wow, we know it's going to get kids. 
a phrase from the 90s and some and the design style of rent. Because, yeah, that's what kids really want to see. Keeping it real drug program. Yeah. And it's... They also misuse capitalization. What's that about? Well, real is an acronym. No, I'm not talking about the acronym. I'm talking about the word keeping. Yeah. It's... uh, This program is less lecture. It's more interactive. The focus is on small group work and actual, like, going up and, like, being able to say no to students. It looks to me like they can't decide what their logo is. The one the one I saw was absolutely rent. I'm looking at this and I see two, three, three or four completely different logos. But the most common one is rent, but with colors. Yeah. And it's just... And of course, you know, real is an acronym because everything has to be an acronym. Just it's, just say what you fucking mean. It stands for refuse, which is say no. No, thank you. I don't want to do drugs. Explain. It's like, no, I don't want to do drugs because it's bad for you. You don't have to. When you say no to anything, you don't have to give an answer unless it's someone like your boss and you're refusing to do an assignment. If you are saying no to someone's sexual advances to someone's offer of drugs to an alcoholic beverage all you can all you have to say is no thank you i think it's as a response to peer pressure it's like it's like come on why aren't you it's like oh it's because of this because i'm not yeah that's like Mm -hmm. just no i'm not going to avoid which is like if you know that like you know billy and his friends are gonna be shooting heroin to their eyeballs behind the gym don't go behind the gym are you avoiding the area or are you avoiding the person? Both. So that's going to like, your friend does some marijuana and now you have to ditch them. Yeah. And leave. If people are doing drugs and you're not comfortable, just leave. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, a lot of parents also... a lot of parents have that whole, if you're ever in an uncomfortable situation, call us, we'll pick you up. Yeah. And that's that's a good that's a good rule. Also, this, situa- this real applies to other things, not just drugs. It's like... Refuse, explain, avoid, leave works in other situations where, like, you might be feeling pressured to do something you're not comfortable with. And shockingly, this has this has worked. This new program works. Scientific American reported that it is 72 percent more effective than their control group in which there was no drug education. Uh, it also in it also involves like improv, improv in which you'll go up and you'll be presented with a more realistic situation than hey let's do drugs behind the gym. It's like you're at a party and someone offers you rum, so, and you can say no and go through this and go through the steps in front of your group. What's your mixer? Yeah. Oh wait, is that not the is not that is that not the appropriate that's response? That's not the appropriate response. <laughs> And, is it apple juice? Because that's really good. <laughs> but this might lead to a bigger problem because improv is a gateway to acting. <laughs> Please tell me someone's actually mad about the concept of theater being part of this. I'm sure there someone is. Or it worse, it could lead to you making a podcast. <laughs> I will say Austin did do his first improv classes about a year that and a half so before. so awkward. Well, okay. okay. The, the ones the Aw- conference weren't. Yeah, those were the uh, the actual in person class was, but that had nothing to do with the concept of improv. He was actually really good, and we had fun. (laughs) The teacher was just someone that we knew. (laughs) Oh man! And uh, we were not the ones who made it awkward. Oh no, I think it was great. Then he came up to us afterwards, like, "I just unfriended you two on Facebook. I need to explain myself." We were like, um. Like, we we forgot notice. we were Facebook friends with you. Oh, yeah. We yeah. had no, like, we didn't dislike it. We didn't dislike you. Just... It's like you're just kind of a non-entity to us. We're mean. So, are you ready for questions? Sure. <laughs> All right. Will Darren the Lion be on the test? Okay. I'm curious to know what this test is about at this point. <laughs> yes. All right. Will the decades of absolute refusal to adapt be on the test? <laughs> yes. 
Will the billions of dollars wasted on D.A.R.E. be on the test? No. Will their current program is named after 90s slang and their logo looks like something from the red poster be on the test? Okay, like seriously, so it's refuse, explain, something, something. Yeah. Um, Why couldn't they just call it something like real talk, how to have the tough conversations? Because they need to be cool so the kids will listen to them. But that's, Maybe, okay. hold on, wait, do I need to turn my chair around backwards, sit in it, and wrap this to you for you to get this? Do you remember being as young as first grade and feeling infantilized by this shit? Yeah. It's like, just talk to us like people. Kids are people. I don't need a puppet to explain this to me. Like, stop treating them like they're stupid. Yeah, you'll need to adjust the actual words you use. Because kids who are in first grade probably aren't going to know things like defibrillator. But you can Mm -hmm. still have it be like like, talking about drugs. And they'll be like, okay, cool. Keep in it real. Uh, What? It's like, I can just see it now. Like someone's kindergarten class, the hardened cop coming in. It's like, all right, kids. Today we're going to talk about what happens when you- Is it Arnold Schwarzenegger? It's like, I can't do an Arnold Schwarzenegger voice. Why are you doing this to me? (laughs) So it's like, hey, kids. Kindergarten cop, bro. Kindergarten. Hello, hello, students. I can't do Arnold. I can't do Arnold. (laughs) You're doing uh, Krang. Is that his name? No. Kang? Kang. Kang and Kodos. Yeah. Krang is the brain from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which <laughs> sounds like this. No. It's like, hey, students, we're going to talk about what happens when you overdose on heroin. This is Narcan. Now, what you do is you jam it into the person's chest and you push down on this plunger and Dude, they might Dude, remember in high school when we had that, um, the pre-prom people come in, the police officers? Just, yeah! Who were like... Okay. No, those paramedics. We had paramedics come in. Were they? I, yeah. thought, I thought we had police officers. It might have been both. But they were like, so you get in this car accident. we got to restart your heart. We're going to jam this needle into your chest. And it sounds like this. And they took this big ass needle and hit it against a wooden plank. And the needle was like 18 inches long. I'm pretty sure they're not actually that long mm-hmm. because that would go all the way through your back. Yeah, I've seen the, those needles are big. They're like a good like four inch needle. Yeah, they'd have to be wide because they have to go through some heavy yeah, it's a, stuff. It's, it is a... Yeah, it is a double. I think it's a zero, a zero gauge. It's huge. It is a colossal fucking needle. It's like, and then we they they would park the totaled car outside the school, and we were like, "That sucks." What do you want us to do with yeah. this information? Again, anecdotes work better. Yeah, we don't know who these people in the car were. All we're seeing is a crunched up car. We you can't even prove to us that this was people who were drunk. It's like those uh, drivers' ed videos where it's like the blood on the road, where they show you the grisly car accidents. Which I love those videos. Um, the only thing I remember from Driver's Ed, uh, really, from the actual classroom stuff, is they had us put on the beer goggles, and it wasn't that different from how I normally see things. So we should all be afraid. <laughs> no, I mean, like, I don't think that they were very extreme. No. It kind of it looked like it kind of looks when you have a headache. Yeah, I remember I had to take off my glasses to put the beer goggles on. Yeah, and it was like, so you can't see. It's like, no, I can't. I'm not wearing my glasses. <laughs> <laughs> We had kids in my class had glasses, and they had them keep their glasses on. You went to some like dime store version. Yeah, they had like I think it was this might have been like a like a state fair or something. I remember the beer goggles from. But oh man, state fair drivers ed same thing. What it's you know what there was cotton candy at both, so I don't see the difference. <laughs> I wish there been cotton candy at mine. Oh, so yeah, that's dare. God, this like thank you listicle for reminding me about this and deciding I'm going to talk about something we learned in school that was stupid. And when your uh, crazy uncle starts talking about the the drug problem, you could say, "Well, you made it worse with your dare program. I learned it from you." <laughs> I learned it from you. So yeah, go in, talk about drugs, say drugs are cool, and then just blow up that Thanksgiving over Zoom. The nice thing about Zoom Thanksgiving is you can mute people. 
I didn't even think of that. You know, I considered having my episode this week. I talked about, I was thinking about toxic positivity. I was also thinking about like how to handle tough conversations with people. Um, not, and then having tough conversations with people kind of boiled down to the stuff we're all tired of, which is like ignoring the problem. But the only thing that came up repeatedly that I think is actually helpful is anecdotes. Use anecdotes rather than facts. Use emotional appeals rather than facts. That's what D.A.R.E. did to stay in business, even though they didn't work. So you know it works. No, it actually does work. Yeah. D.A.R.E. did it wrong because D.A.R.E. used you statements and not I statements. And they didn't use third person story. And they made up the stories. They didn't use real stories. They didn't talk about how this person went through this. They didn't bring in these people to talk about it. They made up a person, which will not work. You have to have actual evidence that the story happened. Otherwise, it won't work. Boy, that was... We we had it. We were passionate this week. Where the fuck did that bug come from? We are in a sealed off room, sir. Oh, it's a oh, it's a ladybug. Asian beetle, probably. Yeah. Okay, I'm a little nervous that there's a bug in here, though. There's always bugs. So many bugs. So now you that talked about... as long as I did, if long... not longer. This is a long episode because we were we we were both passionate about our subjects for very different reasons. I was passionate because I was really excited about Austin's reactions. I was passionate because I love drugs. I don't. Which is the antithesis of the Hallmark Christmas movie, Austin. You have to pick Austin. Oh, man. I and would... it's not, this time it's not me or the drugs. It's Hallmark movies or the drugs. Oh, wow. I've never had to make a harder decision in my life. Do I continue my love of Hallmark movies or drugs? One is destroying my life with unreasonable expectations in Christmas. The other one makes Christmas bearable. <laughs> <laughs> Says the guy who, who doesn't even drink. I know. I okay. I you probably don't know this, but I like, I don't drink. I like, I haven't smoked pot in like a decade. You mean ever. Ever. Or don't admit to crimes on this podcast. No, we have never performed any crimes on this podcast. We certainly haven't murdered kids. Wait, and... are we performing crimes on the podcast? I have been, pre I have been doing insider trading on my phone <laughs> the entire time you've been talking. What is insider trading exactly? I need you to explain it to me now that I know someone so, who's done it. Okay. So insider trading is... So, You're where can people find us? <laughs> people can find us, hopefully not in jail after the stuff Austin's talking about, on Facebook at facebook.com slash onthetestpod. On Twitter and Instagram, we are at onthetestpod. We have a website that is onthetestpod.com. You can also find us in this closet in our house, because it is our podcast closet. We share it with a ladybug who I'm naming Stanley. And you can also find us on December 1st at Indie Pods United. Buy your ticket. Come see the whole thing. It's going to be really, really fun. Yeah. And of course, you know, if you like what you heard, you know, go on, write a review, recommend us to friends, you know, go to, go to your podcast oh, thing of choice. Oh, we are a really good way to piss off your family this Thanksgiving if you want to. Just look back over our previous episodes. And while you're cooking that Thanksgiving dinner, when you know that that uncle, you know the one, is coming over and you know they're going to come into the kitchen, play the episode of your choice. Really piss them off and then leave us a message thanking us for us starting all the yeah. hell. And you know, while you're at it. Um, or don't do any of that because your uncle's not coming over for Thanksgiving because you don't want to get COVID. Yeah, that's yeah, true. Just like you're, you know, recommend, like listen to these episodes. So you've got like, there's going to be something to, that we've done that'll piss off your uncle. Every episode just about will have something that'll piss people off in it. Yeah. We are Actually, equal. no, not just about. Somebody can find anything. Like anything can piss someone off. Oh, yeah. Like, you know what? We contain, we contain multitudes and everything will piss someone off. Multitudes? I contain only two. Is that a multitude? I think technically because it's multiple. A multiple of what? One. Is it though? No. <laughs> <laughs> 
we're going to go learn how to do math again. So on that note. Class clat- did. Class. On that note. Class dismissed. Happy Thanksgiving and good luck. Turkey noises.